Well, this is session 37 of our synchronized study in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to start right where we left off last time in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. And we're going to find that the next several verses, starting here, going all the way to chapter 11, verse 13, which is what we're going to cover. All of it's about prayer. A lot of Christians, folks, seasoned Christians, as it were, are painfully ignorant of what prayer is really all about. I was for years. So this is going to be a very beneficial, helpful lesson for all of us, starting here in chapter 10, verse 38. It says, Now it came to pass, as they went, that Jesus entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving. And she came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her that she should help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I love how the Living Bible paraphrases these verses. Listen to this, folks. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her sister Mary sat on the floor listening to Jesus as he talked. But Martha was the jittery type and was worrying over the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Sir, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, Martha, dear friend, you are so upset over all these details. There is really only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and I won't take it away from her. Folks, that short little story, just five little verses, was put there to set the stage for what Jesus is about to get into in Luke chapter 11. It's all about prayer, the importance of prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6, you have the armor of God, and if you've noticed, there's six pieces of armor listed. Well, six means incomplete. It means something about the armor, as awesome as it is, it's incomplete. What makes it complete? Well, if you read, the next thing listed after those six pieces of armor is prayer. And prayer, folks, that's what puts the armor on. That's what activates the armor once it has been put on. And when you keep praying after putting on the armor of God, prayer is what keeps the armor on. You stop praying, and then Satan starts chipping away at the armor. One piece at a time until there's nothing left and you're naked. Now getting back to Luke, in chapter 11, where we're fixing to go, Jesus is going to teach us how to pray. And to me, that is something that most Christians, you know, that's a good thing to ask the Lord, by the way. Just say, God, teach me how to pray. Some folks think they know how to pray. It's like, oh, well, you know, I know how to pray. And then they recite the Lord's Prayer. They say a poem over and over. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, When you pray, don't use vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard for their much speaking. And if you believe Jesus there, then that also cancels out what some people think is praying in the Spirit. Praying in a language that doesn't make any sense to the human ear, but supposedly it means something to God and angels and the supernatural sphere. But folks, people were doing that in Jesus' day, and God had not even given the Holy Spirit yet. And the people who practiced this were of pagan religions. 
So that's not a gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a practice that's been going on forever in pagan circles long before Christianity ever picked it up. It's not biblical. There is a gift called speaking in tongues. It's got nothing to do with what people think is praying in the Spirit. Jesus was referring to those people when he said in Matthew 6, verse 7, don't be like those guys. Don't be like the heathen who use vain, empty, meaningless repetitions, for they think they'll be heard for their much speaking. That's not how you pray. Jesus tells us how to pray in the next chapter. He tells us why we should pray in the same chapter. He tells us why we can depend on God to intervene because of what we're praying. And what Jesus is doing to set the stage for all that is right here at the end of chapter 10. Here you have two women. And once again, folks, I think it's beautiful. Whenever God wants to do something to represent the church, he always uses women because he's trying to point out symbolically that the church is the bride of Christ, right? Well, here we have two women, two people who are serving the Lord. Let's, let's go ahead and give Martha some credit here. You know, she invited Jesus into her home. A lot of people wouldn't do that. A lot of people told him to get lost. A lot of them told him there's no room. Um, a lot of people picked up stones to throw at him. He ran off. Or actually, he made his way through the crowd and disappeared. That's actually what the text says. The point is, uh, a lot of faithlessness and unbelief would hit Jesus in the face no matter where he went, even from his own family. But here, we have two people who are symbolic, they're women to symbolize the church, Christians, the saints, and they've welcomed him into their home. And they're both serving the Lord. They both love Jesus. And Martha is wanting to make everything just perfect. This is something because this is her God. This is her Lord. So she's wanting to make sure that the meal's just right. And it's probably not just the meal. It's the whole presentation. Let's make him comfortable. Poor Jesus. He's been sleeping at night on the Mount of Olives. He's probably dirty. We're going to make him comfortable here. We're going to, you know, a meal fit for a king because he is a king after all. Meanwhile, Mary is just sitting on the floor next to Jesus as he's talking. So Martha is really getting uptight because she's trying to serve the Lord. She's trying it, but she can't do it by herself. And so the back of her mind, she's thinking, you know, Mary's just sitting on the floor down there, not doing anything. So she finally just says, you know, Lord, why don't you tell Mary to get up and help me? But I think the lesson to me, the most important part of this lesson, folks, is Jesus's response and his view of what's important. Martha was serving the Lord with all kinds of anxiousness and busyness, getting everything just right, while Mary was just sitting on the floor listening to Jesus. And as far as Martha was concerned, she thought that meant nothing. She's not doing it. She's just sitting there. She's not doing anything to help. She's just sitting there. And Jesus is trying to explain, between the two of you, I love you both, but between the two of you, Mary's the one who's figured out what's important. And a lot of preachers will take this story, these five verses, and will teach that Jesus is trying to explain to us how important it is to make time for prayer and not let the busyness of life crowd out your prayer time. Now, that's an excellent lesson, and I'm going to spend some time talking about that because that's absolutely true. I mean, you've got to set a time for prayer, otherwise 
your life is just not going. Folks, I'm going to tell you, life is a burden and nothing will soothe that burden, heal that burden than committing daily to a place and a time to get somewhere alone to spend time with the Lord at Jesus' feet, just like Mary's doing. So that's a valid lesson to teach when preachers do that. But I think there's another piece here, another lesson here that I think, well, let me just tell you how it hit me between the eyes. About half a year ago, I was doing a study on sleep paralysis. It's a demonic phenomenon that some people are afflicted with and there's a way out. Because I used to be afflicted with it. I discovered how to get out of it. I discovered how to prevent it from ever happening again. And uh, I just flippantly said something at Facebook. I think I'll do a study on sleep paralysis and publish some stuff. I was overwhelmed with the emails I got from people saying, please do. People from all over the place are being afflicted with this stuff. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to take what I know and what I've learned and the scripture that I've got. I'm going to do some scientific research, get online, do some research and Put everything together. Well, the more research I did, the more I discovered that the problem was a lot deeper than I thought it was. It's still demonic, but it, it goes very, very deep. It has tentacles that bridge into other areas of research. And what I thought was going to take me a week or two to do took me months to do. And there were a lot of anxious people waiting for this video. They were waiting for the scripture. They wanted to hear the scripture. They wanted to get the notes that I was writing. They wanted to see the video that I was doing. And uh, it got to the point where all I did was eat, sleep, breathe, and think about making this video and publishing these notes. And I'd sit at the computer and I'd move notes around. I'd get everything just right because in the back of my mind, I thought, I am serving God. I am serving the Lord with this because he is using me to get the truth of what sleep paralysis is and how to get rid of it. He's using me as a conduit to get the truth out to people. I'm serving the Lord. Folks, you know what happened to me? I stopped praying. I didn't have time to pray. Besides, God knows everything. What's to pray about? You know, a lot of Christians will fall into that trap. God knows everything I'm going to say before I say it, so why even say it? And isn't that interesting? We'll talk about that in a minute. The point is, I stopped praying. I had a daily devotion to the Lord through prayer. And I just thought that was getting in the way of getting these notes published, of getting the video published about sleep paralysis. And I got weary. I got wore out. I got irritable. There was nothing I could do to make the notes gel. I mean, I knew what I wanted to say, but I couldn't get it in writing and I couldn't get it on video. I must have taken 20 videos before I finally filmed the one that is published now at the website. And I finally just had to call it quits for a while. I just washed my hands. I said, I got to get away from the project altogether. And I just started going back to what I was doing. I got my Bible out and just did some praying. I was reading the Bible for me, not for anybody else, but for me for a change. And I ran across these verses right here. And I pulled out my H.A. Ironside commentary. And he's the one who shared a little story that completely put everything into perspective for me. He told a story about a father who had a little girl that he cherished with all of his heart, and she used to crawl up into his lap every evening after supper. She'd crawl up into his lap, and they'd sit and watch TV together, they'd play video games together, they'd read books together, whatever. But then all of a sudden, something strange happened. She started saying, Daddy, I need to go to my room to do something in private. It's important. And he said, well, okay, okay, and it was kind of cute. She started doing that every night. 
And after doing this for a couple of weeks, he really started to be hurt by it because he thought to himself, well, what's more important than sitting in my lap with me? But I don't want to be a controlling, doting father. I don't want to be possessive. She's got her own individuality. That's that's understandable. I'm not going to make a big deal out of this. But man, I sure miss those days where she used to crawl up into my lap. And he just kind of privately kept that to himself. And this went on for another couple of weeks. Came Christmas time, he found out what the big mystery was. She was crocheting a pair of slippers for him. Said, Merry Christmas, Daddy, and she gave him the slippers. And He was relieved to find out that she wasn't outgrowing her love for her daddy. She still liked getting in his lap. She just had to find time to make these slippers, and that was the time that she chose to get away from him so he wouldn't find out because it ruined the surprise. Christmas is coming, you know. So it was a huge relief. He enjoyed the slippers, looked at the care that was put into them. And as he wore those slippers throughout the winter, she got back up into his lap and everything was back to normal again. And every night, boy, she was so proud. She looked down at his feet and she would see that he was wearing those slippers that she made for him. And then as time went by, he confided in her and explained to her that as much as he loved those new slippers, the one thing that she could give him that nobody else could give him was the time that she chose to spend with him every evening of her own free will because she wanted to. And he told her every night after supper, the time you spend with me means more to me than all the slippers in the world. And when I read that in Ironside's commentary, I reflected on what I was going through. As hard as I was working on that video and all of those notes for sleep paralysis, you know, as, as important as founding word is and everything I'd been doing, God was trying to explain to me, Josh, I love you. I appreciate it. But if you don't get that done, I'll get somebody else to do it. The one thing I can get from you that I can't get from anybody else is you. And the time you spend with me in the mornings with your Bible open, not really having any idea where you're going to read or what you're going to get out of it. You're just spending time with me. And I just remember looking out the window thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I've been so stupid. Folks, if you're a Christian and you don't have a regularly scheduled time to spend with the Lord every day, you're missing out. You're missing out on discovery. You're missing out on intimate love. You're missing out on being refueled. You're missing out on a supernatural experience that will take place all the time. It will give you everything you need to face life. And the point of these five verses, Jesus is trying to set the stage. This is what prayer is. So many people out there talk about prayer. This is what prayer is. That is the foundation of what it's all about. Now, there's a lot of things that get in the way of the Christian when they're trying to pray. A lot of things get in the way of the prayer life of a Christian. And one of them is this mentality that God knows everything. See, in the beginning, we begin to wonder about how much God cares about our prayer, whether or not our prayer is something that he wants to hear and As we grow in our walk with the Lord, we begin to realize with astonishment that God actually does care. He wants to hear from us. He does love us. He does take us very seriously. Whenever we begin to pray, we have his undivided attention. Not that he needs to know about what we're saying. He already knows everything. And yet, some way, somehow, my prayer means something to God. And sometimes it takes years for us to figure that out, but we begin to realize it in circumstances in life through the word of God itself, 
and through the, the, the feeling he gives us in our spirit whenever we set aside any time at all to just be with the Lord to pray, not really expecting an outcome, not really knowing where things are going, just setting aside that time to be at peace and spend it with the Lord. But as time goes by, our faith increases. Our faith in God's faithfulness increases. Our faith in God's ability to take care of everything increases. And then all of a sudden, we begin to see God as this hyperdimensional Superman who is outside time. He transcends the universe. He, tra- he transcends space-time. He knows everything before it could ever happen. He knows exactly what I would pray if I were going to pray. He knows exactly what I'm going to pray before I pray it. He knows all of my needs before I ask for them anyway. So what am I praying for? You pray because God wants to hear from you. Yeah, but God knows what I'm going to say before I say it. It doesn't matter. He still wants to hear from you. Just because he knows what you're going to say before you say it doesn't mean he doesn't want to hear from you. Another lie that the devil tells us to keep us from praying, he'll tell us, well, yeah, but God's got everything planned out. All the days of your life have been written out before you were born. See, Satan starts using scripture against God because that's actually in the Bible. <laughs> so the devil tells you that. See, everything's set in stone. It's fate. God's got everything figured out and planned out. You just got to ride through the plan and just get through it. God's got everything set. It's already perfected the way God wants it. There's nothing you can do. The only problem with that line of thinking is, folks, how do you know that part of God's plan is that you ask for something and then God gives it? What if God's plan that he has written outside time, what if part of that plan is him creating a situation that has a need that he wishes to meet and he inspires you to ask for that need to be met so that he can grant that need and say, see, I was listening. And you know what, folks, if I were a timeless being trying to communicate with a being who's inside time, that's exactly what I would do. Yeah, but, you know, everything falls according to God's will. You don't know what God's will is. Let's get back to Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, now it came to pass as Jesus was praying in a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So then Jesus gave them a model prayer. It's also known as the Lord's Prayer, but it's actually the disciples' prayer. Now, we've already heard a version of this in the book of Matthew during the Sermon on the Mount. This is not a parallel version. This is a separate occasion. This is a new group of disciples. A new person is asking Jesus, how do you pray? Teach me how to pray. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus said we're not to be repetitive. So what I'm about to read is very familiar to modern day ears. It has been recited over and over and over and over again because it is the classic so-called Lord's Prayer and people will pray that thing like it's magic. But this is meant to be a model. It is a model prayer. It is an example. In other words, you can change the words around. This was just an example. This is Jesus' way of saying, here's how you pray. 11 verse 2. So he said to them, when you pray, say our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, when we did our synchronized study, it was session 13 that we covered Matthew's record of Jesus introducing this model prayer during his Sermon on the Mount. That was in Matthew chapter 6, 
verses 9 to 15. It's a little different than it is here because it's a different occasion. Jesus changed the words a little bit, but it's the same model. As far as this study is concerned, I don't want to repeat myself and say things that I said in session 13. But I will add a few things since Jesus thought it was worthy to repeat it here. The disciple asked Jesus how to pray, and Jesus offered a template. Notice its basic, plain language. It's the language that he understands. He didn't say, well, the first thing you need to do before you can pray to anybody is get the Holy Ghost. You got to get yourself the Holy Ghost, and then you need to get on the floor and go, No, there's nothing like that in here, is there? Now, if you thought that Jesus endorsed that, you would think this would be the perfect opportunity because here a disciple just came right out and asked, how do I pray? And Jesus offered a basic template. You start off by addressing him respectfully. Lord God, or our Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, oh dear God, those are titles that we all know only belong to him. Holy is your name. In other words, we know that you're the answer to everything. We know you're perfect in your wisdom. We know you're perfect in your love. We know you're perfect in your word. We trust you. This is why we're here. We believe you. Your kingdom come. Now, folks, what do you think that means? That's praying for the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. Those three little words, your kingdom come, that means Satan's in chains, sin has been dealt with, Jesus is on his throne in Israel. The dead in Christ have risen. The church has received their new glorified bodies. We've been reunited with our loved ones. All of that wrapped up in those three little words, thy kingdom come. That's what you're asking for. Notice that's before anything else in this prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we're talking about today and asking God that his will be done. In other words, not my will, not Satan's will. Not the will of everybody around me, but God, what do you want? Just what do you want, Lord? What, what, when I have this problem that's, that's hitting me between the eyes, I, I'm thinking about all kinds of stuff, but God, how do you see this? What is your will in this situation? What are you up to? And then verse three, give us day by day our daily bread, or the other version, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, here's where you put out there your needs. If it's food, if it's finances, if it's just emotional strength to get through something, this is where you go through a list of needs. That honors God. He does not get tired of hearing us bring our needs to him. He wants us to do that. Verse 4, forgive us of our sins because, folks, we're still not perfect. We might be saved by grace and we've been cleansed of all of our sins, but we're still in this fleshly body and we're going to make mistakes. There's Christians out there teaching, well, you can be perfect after you get saved. No, you can't. That's why Jesus tells us in this prayer right here to continually ask God to forgive us of our sins. Not so we can stay saved, but to keep the lines of communication open because if there's unconfessed or unrepented sin in my heart, then I'm not going to be able to hear God speak back to me when I'm praying. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And that's not always easy, but but we covered forgiveness in exhaustive detail in session 31. I don't want to get into all of that here. And then the last part where it says, do not lead us into temptation. That's one of those mistranslations in English. It's not lead us, but allow us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In other words, 
Satan's out there tempting people left and right. And some of those temptations God allows because he is growing someone up. But some of those temptations we get ourselves into, these are troubles that we get ourselves into. So we're asking God, look, if, I mean, if you're going to grow me up and train me, that's one thing. But don't let me fall into temptation or be tempted just because Satan's having a free-for-all out there. It's just a way of remembering that we're at war. We have an enemy. A lot of Christians out there like to pretend that there is no devil. But this is part of the prayer. Allow us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that's the model prayer. This is the template that we're to use. And what Jesus is saying is, look, this is our daddy. This is your new adopted daddy. He's holy. You can trust him. He's perfect in his love, wisdom, and power and control. Ask for his kingdom to come. He loves that. We're all waiting for Jesus to get down here and and straighten everything out. Talk to God about his will. That's a great thing to talk about. And then bringing to God a list of petitions that summarize our needs and desires. God loves that. And if God brings anything to your mind that you know isn't right, that you need to confess to him and repent of, do it, folks. Just bring up all the dirtiness that you have running around in your head. We've all got it, folks. Me too. Just bring it up to him. Let it all come. I'm going to tell you something. The devil's going to bring it up anyway. Because while you try to pray to God, the devil's right there trying to thwart your prayer by reminding you of just how evil and wicked you are. So what you ought to do is just, you know, get it to backfire on Satan and just confess it. I'll say, God, I don't like this about me. I'm thinking this right now. And I was thinking that the other day. And there's this and there's this and there's this. You know, after a while, the devil might change his tactics. Because all he's doing is getting you to confess everything and God's forgiven it all and Satan's not going to have anything left. So then what Satan will do is he'll bring up all this bitterness and resentment and anger you've got towards other people. That'll be the next thing he attempts to do to distract your prayer, which is why the next thing here says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Allow us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. Everything's there, folks. Everything you could possibly think to pray about If you spent three hours praying to God, it all falls under one of these categories. That's why it's called the model prayer, the template prayer. People who run around reciting it like it's some poem, like it's a magic incantation, there's no biblical justification for that. Now, is it wrong to recite it? No. But, uh, you know, I was recently watching a horror film about a family that was being harassed by uh, a bunch of demons in this house. And it was supposedly based on a true story, and they kept trying to get uh, their local Catholic parish to cooperate in blessing the house to get rid of the demons. They wouldn't do it uh, for bureaucratic reasons or whatever. And so finally, all the local Christians got together at the end of the movie. I thought, well, well, this is great. It's about time. And all the Christians showed up, had a big old parade down the street. They all marched into the house. Well, I was clapping my hands thinking, it's about time. All right, we're fixing to see some action. We're going to take care of business. They all get in the house, and at the same time, they all go, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I just thought, what are you guys doing? I thought y'all were really going to pray. Good grief. Why don't you just get in there and say, Demons be gone in Jesus' name, Lord Father. We're here to help our friends get these demons out of their house. We want to recognize that you're God. I mean, why didn't they do that? It just irked me to no end. Anyway, anyway, Luke chapter 11, verse 5 to 13 is Jesus's reaffirmation that you can depend upon God, that God wants you being repetitive if it means repeating your needs, going to him daily, 
Share with them your problems. Share with them your pains. Give to them your needs and desires. Chapter 11, verse 5, Jesus said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Don't trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you anything. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now let me just stop right there real quick, folks, because a lot of people, and I've been guilty of this, I'll read this parable, and I think, well, you mean God's sitting up there, and he says no first, so we'll ask him again so he can say yes later? No, that's not what this parable is saying. What Jesus is saying is, stick with it. Don't ask God for something and, and, and quit so easily. Don't just say, God, is it okay if I do this, that, and the other? And then you don't seem to sense an answer. And all of a sudden, you're just like, well, I'll just go take care of things myself because God didn't say anything. The point that Jesus is making is that you can't ask God for anything over and over again with a pure heart and God not eventually answer that prayer. He's a friend, and that's the point. Jesus gave this parable not because that's the way God is, but because Jesus knows that that's how we see God sometimes. We seem to think of God as that way when we pray. And what he's saying is, look, don't give up. Jesus wants you to stay focused on the Father. He doesn't want you looking everywhere else to get the answer to your prayer. He wants you looking to the Father. He doesn't want you knocking, asking, and then going away. He wants you staying there until you get the answer. And the reason why is because what we perceive to be silence is actually God working behind the scenes and getting the circumstances and getting you ready for the answer. And sometimes that takes years. And look at what Jesus says following that. He said, if a son, which is what we are, folks, we're God's kids. He said, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, folks, Jesus said that because he hadn't been sent yet. The Holy Spirit had not been sent yet because Jesus was still on the earth. Now, we don't have to ask for the Holy Spirit because 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, past tense, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So if you're saved, you don't have to ask for the Holy Spirit. You've got Him. Anyway, the point of all of these verses, folks, is Jesus is trying to get the point across. To us, God is a dad. He's a father. He loves us. We can trust him. He's a friend. He's there to provide for us. He's there to listen to every problem we have. He wants us to crawl up into his lap and just enjoy his company. And I'm telling you, folks, I know from experience, if you're a Christian, I don't care how much Bible knowledge you've got. If you will commit 30 minutes minimum, you'd be better off going to an hour. But if you could just commit at least 30 minutes 
to just getting a Bible, an ESV or an Amplified or a Living Paraphrase, doesn't matter, just as long as it's not one of those outlandish versions. Just get a Bible and just get to a place where you know you can meet God on a regular basis and you have no idea where you're going. You can take a journal, a little notepad, that's what I do, and just write stuff down and just spend a little time every day. Folks, it will change your whole life, I'm telling you. We're going to stop it right there, folks. Until next time, we're out of here. Take care.